0: 1st Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 15 the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life To the King of the ages, immortal and visible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Good morning. Welcome to Northside. We're glad that you're here. While you're standing, take a moment and greet and welcome those around you. You may return to your seats and you may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're glad that you are here to worship with us on this chilly Sunday morning, Uh, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We are glad that you are here, thankful uh, that you are here to worship with us. If this is your first time, thank you for being here. We would appreciate if you would let us know that. There's a couple ways you can do that. There's a QR code uh, in the bulletin that you can scan, fill out some information online, or there's a connection card out in the foyer. You can take a moment and fill that out. We would greatly appreciate it. I believe you'll see this morning that we are a church that exists uh, to make much of Jesus. We want to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that begins by worshiping Him and magnifying His name that also means that we're going to go beyond our walls and we're going to live sent. You'll notice several people have on live sent shirts this morning. I have on one underneath my shirt here. And there's a reason for that because tomorrow morning we have a, a group of 19 of folks here at Northside Plus, our missionary that's going, Justin. So 20 of us are going to be heading to Guatemala to build a house. And so um we always try to have a time of prayer we've done this whenever teams leave but starting today i want to do it a little bit different the last couple times you would just stand where you are and people would gather around you but going forward when we do a mission trip and people are going to be sent out i'm going to ask you to come forward so if you are going on this trip tomorrow if you will start making your way forward and just line up the front just quickly as quickly as you can just line up the front And here's what I'm going to ask everybody else to do, if you are physically able, is I'm going to ask you from where you are to come up here to where they are and gather around them and lay hands on them. So if you'll come, men, women, members, visitors, we just want to pray. Pastor Gary is going to come, and he's going to pray over us. If you can't reach them, just put your hands on the people in front of them as we go out, as we live sent this week, building a home and sharing the gospel. So you all come. And if you can't get up here, you can just lay hands on the person in front of you. Let's pray.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to go as a church into the nations lord lord to build a home for a family lord that's never had one lord we commit uh, mike and suzanne edson lord landon uh, paul and gina johnson and luke we pray for debbie for bill and sean for chris and rebecca for grayson for carter brian and miss alexa lord for alex, uh, for alex roth lord for for trip lord that's unable to be here this morning but lord we even commit the missionary justin to you we commit this team into your loving care we ask lord that you would undertake for them both now as to prepare as they go to guatemala as they're there lord that you would calm their calm their nerves help them to know what they're going to do help them to be ready and able that they would be flexible lord you have given each of them gifts. You've given each of them abilities. I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, aim these men and women, Lord, straight so that they may strike straight for you. The conversations they may have even now, today, and tomorrow as they're on their way as to why they're going. I pray that it would be clear to spread the gospel for your sake, Lord. And in this moment, it's to, to build a home in your namesake. So we ask, Lord, that you go forth, Lord, and extend your kingdom for your glory's sake. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: What
0: do you got? Day that you have made, may we rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what life throws at us, and uncertainties that will definitely come our way, we have our hope in your son Jesus, Lord. Lord, you have blessed us so abundantly, and today we come to this time of the service where we give back a little of what you've given us, and may we be cheerful givers as we do give back. And we ask for your blessing over these ties and offerings, and may it grow your kingdom. And bring glory to your name. In Jesus name I pray. Oh, will Thank you, choir. Jesus saves. Amen. Amen. All right, at this time, our kiddos are going to make their way to Children's Church. You will take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 6. We saw Peter's instruction to wives. This morning, we will see Peter's instruction to husbands. Verse seven First Peter chapter three verse seven if you would please take your copy of God's word and stand in honor of the reading of God's word. She's gonna read verse seven this is the word of the Lord. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. You may be seated. There was a young man who thought himself to be super spiritual. He approached Bible teacher Harry Ironside and said, Dr. Ironside, I have a spiritual problem. I love my wife too much. I guess he thought the doctor would commend him for his dedication to God and his wife, but Ironside wisely asked him, Young man, do you love her as much as Christ loved the church? Well, uh, the man stammered, "Um, I don't think I love her that much. And Ironside replied, then go, get on with it. Go and get on to loving your wife the way that Christ loved the church. We have in Scripture, all the way from the beginning to the end, this beautiful picture of marriage given to us by God, designed by God. One man, one woman in this covenant till death parts them. What God brings together, men shall not tear asunder. It's a beautiful picture of marriage. And I really like, as I was listening this week to a couple different sermons, Skip Isaac in his sermon on 1 Peter 3, 7, I think paints a helpful illustration, a picture of sometimes what happens and what goes wrong in marriage. He says, so many couples approach the marriage altar with the picture in their minds of the perfect spouse. So that wedding day comes and they walk the aisle and in their minds, they have a picture of what the perfect spouse looks like. He says the problem is they're marrying an imperfect person. And so when that happens, he says one of two things will happen in that marriage. Either that husband or that wife will begin to tear up the picture of what a perfect spouse looks like, and begins to love and accept the imperfect person they marry, or they will begin to tear up the person and tear down the person that they married and only want what is not realistic, and that is a perfect spouse. And so when we come to this issue of marriage, the Bible has so many wonderful instructions for us. How husbands and how wives are to treat one another and relate to one another. And so as we come to this one verse, verse 7, you would think, Pastor, certainly you can't say that much on verse 7. And I would beg to differ, and my notes would beg to differ. And so I want you to notice three things. And I'm going to explain where I'm getting these three points from. I want you to notice, number one, that you are to pursue God and your wife. You are to pursue God and your wife. Husbands. Number two, you are to prize and protect your wife. Prize and protect your wife. And number three, you are to pray for your wife. So number one, you are to pursue God and your wife. You say, Pastor, that doesn't say anything in here about God. Where are you getting pursue God? And I'm going to show you where I'm drawing that from. But let's look at what the scripture says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. The New Living Translation reads, Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. The KJV reads, Dwell with them according to knowledge. Peter is addressing husbands, and he tells husbands, You are to live or dwell with your wife. The Greek word for live with is used only here in the New Testament. the only time this Greek word appears in the New Testament. However, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament... It appears multiple times, and it can refer to sexual relationships in marriage. Absolutely, that closeness, that intimacy, but it means far more than that. It speaks of a togetherness in emotional, spiritual, and physical closeness. So Peter is saying, husbands, you live, you dwell with your wife in such a way that there is this emotional, spiritual, and physical closeness as you live and do life together. Notice what he says, likewise, husbands, live, dwell with your wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge. Now, Wayne Grudem in his commentary writes, the knowledge Peter intends here may include any knowledge that would be beneficial to the husband-wife relationship. So live with them in an understanding way or according to all knowledge. And Grudem says that word knowledge can be any knowledge that's beneficial to the husband-wife relationship. And so where does that knowledge start? Well, Proverbs says it begins with the fear of the Lord. Knowledge begins with knowing God. And knowing God's purposes and principles for marriage. That's why I'm saying you first have to pursue God. You pursue him. You need to submit to his will and to his purpose and to his plan for your life and for your marriage relationship. Peter tells the wife to be subject to your own husband. Paul says in Ephesians five twenty two, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So we teach that the husband is the head of the home and wives are to submit to their husband. But if you go back one verse, Don't skip verse 21, because here's what you read. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As there's this mutual submission to each other and to Christ, then the husband loves and the wife will follow his loving leadership. There is a definite sense in which the husband submits to his wife. And that starts by first husbands submitting to Christ. Submitting to the Word of God and the will of God for your life. You are husbands. I think this is a much harder command than submitting to your husband. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I pray you love your wife a whole bunch. You don't yet love her as Christ loved the church. Christ laid down his life for the church. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church, which means, hear me, husbands, you will never use your authority in a way to harm or hurt your wife. You will never take this, hey, you are to submit to me and just lord that over your wife, holding it over her head. Submit, submit, submit. You won't live that way, but rather you will pursue her. You will use your authority to minister and to serve her for her benefit and her blessing and her good you will are you ready for this subordinate your needs to hers in that way you do submit to her you are going to take your needs and you're going to subordinate them so that her needs always come before yours you will subordinate your selfish interest to her well-being you will seek to live with her in knowledge which means husbands you will seek to know her To know her desires, her goals, her frustrations. You will seek to know her strengths and her weaknesses. You will seek to know her fears, her concerns, her needs, and yes, even her feelings. How will you do that? How will you know these things? The answer is you pursue God and then you pursue your wife. You have to pursue her. You have to study her. Listen, young folks, you think, hey, I'm in school now. One day I'm going to stop being a student. Newsflash. You are to be a lifelong student, first and foremost, of God and his word. You never stop learning about God. You will never know all you need to know. And second, men, young men, you are to be a forever long student of your wife. Know her. Study her. Now, what's the opposite of living in an understanding way? It would be to dwell according to arrogance. I'm arrogant. I know everything I need to know about you. It would mean that you are walking in blindness. You are blind to the needs, the wants, the desires of your wife. You are you're never looking beyond your own desires. It's always about you. And Peter's saying, don't live or dwell with your wife like that. Instead, keep your eyes open, consider her desire, ask questions, and listen. This is really important, men, not just with your ears. Use your ears, please. Selective hearing, that, that, we can use that excuse sometimes, but not all the time, right? Or I'm deaf. No, sometimes we just don't hear. We're selective in our hearing, but listen, you have to listen with your heart. You have to listen to your wife with your heart. So, husbands, let me ask you a couple questions. Number one, do you know your wife? Do you know her? Somebody once asked Mrs. Albert Einstein if she understood Dr. Einstein's theory of relativity. She replied, no, but I know the doctor. She knew her husband. Do you know your husband? Do you know your wife? I, heard this, I read this week of a wife who told her husband, listen, your job is to figure me out. My job is to keep you guessing. Any amens? They're like, I've been married for 40 years and I still can't figure out my wife. No, you never will. So keep studying. Keep learning. Do you know your wife? Number two, are you still captivated by your wife? The scripture uses that word captivated. You're captivated by her. Ecclesiastes 9.9, 9, I love this. I love because of what it says, but I also love it because it rhymes. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Are you still captivated by your wife? Proverbs 5.18 says rejoice in the wife of your youth. Are you captivated with your wife? Are you still in love with with your wife seeking to know her and learn more about her and third question is do you know your purpose in marriage what's your purpose in marriage the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this question what is the chief end of man answer to glorify God and enjoy him forever that's your chief purpose. You were created by God. He's the creator. He's the designer. And he created you to glorify him, magnify him, and to enjoy him, to know him and the many blessings he's given you. And I would argue that's the same purpose in your marriage, to glorify God and enjoy him together. The God in his providence and in his sovereignty, Saul, to bring you and your spouse together together and in that marriage you are to glorify him and you enjoy him and you do it together your marriage is to picture the gospel what ephesians 5 teaches us that jesus christ loved his church so much that he laid down his life for her you husbands are to love your wife to the point that you would lay down your life for her wives are to come under as the church comes under the lordship of christ the wife comes under the headship of her husband and loves him and respects him and follows him in his leadership because she trusts that he is seeking after christ and running after christ so pursue god you'll never have the marriage you want nor need nor desire if you are not pursuing god and pursuing christ it starts vertically, and then from that flows horizontally. Pursue your wife. Second point I want you to notice is to prize and protect your wife. Prize and protect your wife. We continue, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And many women would say, amen, yes. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Peter say, what? What? What did he say? Just say, now listen, Peter does two things here. First of all, he's going to tell us what she is as the wife and then who she is. He gets the what first and then the who. And we read, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And feminists get all tore up here. This is so condescending. This is so antiquated and old school. Peter is a male chauvinistic pig, just like all the males in the Bible, just like all the men who've ever lived. A bunch of patriarchs, just get rid of all of them. Okay, so what's Peter saying here? Notice a couple things. First of all, notice, please, he calls woman the weaker vessel. He does not say women are the weak vessel. He says weaker. Implication, ladies, you're weaker. Men, you're weak. Spiritually, everyone in this room, male, female, you are impoverished apart from Jesus Christ. That's why it says, blessed are the first beatitude, poor in spirit. Until you recognize you are impoverished, you are broke spiritually, you have nothing to offer God, you cannot come to him in salvation. So he says, women are the weaker. Notice, he calls them a vessel. Listen, both men and women are vessels. God's the potter. You're the clay pot. He's designed you, created you for His purpose and His glory. So both men and women are vessels, but He does call the woman the weaker vessel. Now what does this mean? What is Peter saying? Well, in Greco-Roman culture, we talked about this, women, just like slaves, were seen as things, property, women were seen as lesser than lesser mentally and morally physically in every way men were here and women you were way down here so what's peter saying when he says women are the weaker vessel i don't believe and the next phrase when he says who she is will clarify for this i don't think he's saying women you are inferior mentally i don't think he's saying women are inferior spiritually read the bible look at church history see the number of godly women giants in the faith who loved the lord who had faith and pursued the lord he's not saying women are inferior spiritually in fact he's not saying they're inferior at all because he's about to say you are heirs with your husband in christ so what is he saying i think it just it's logical it makes sense if you study science you look at people he's saying women are the weaker vessel physically he's talking about physically they've got the nba all-star weekend going on this weekend there's a reason even though our crazy messed up world is wanting to merge these there's a reason why you have men's sports and women's sports now is it universal that every man is going to be better than every woman in something no it is not even universal that all men are stronger than women. Because I can tell you right now, some of you ladies in this room could whoop me in a heartbeat. (laughs) My wife and my youngest son aren't here to say amen. Landon, would you like to amen that statement? Thank you, Landon. I am not strong. My brothers and sisters, when we go to Guatemala this week, you are going to see your pastor is not physically strong. So it's not universal that men are stronger. But when you set... Beside a man and a woman at their prime, there's a reason why men are dunking the basketball like it's nothing, and you seldom see women doing it. They're just physically faster, they're stronger. That's just what it is. So here's the point Peter recognizes in this culture that if a husband wanted to, he could easily overpower his wife. And in this culture, there was no legal recourse the wife could take. She was property he could do anything he wanted to her she probably could not physically stop him and then legally could do nothing to him and so he's saying recognize that and honor them and we're going to come back to that word honor in just a minute honor her the woman as the weaker vessel i don't know why feminists always want to get riled up with these things Like, you go to open the door, a lot of ladies would say thank you. But there will be some ladies who are just indignant that you would stop and open the door for them. I'm capable of opening my own door. Well, yes, you are. But I believe men are to be gentlemen. Now, that's cultural in a lot of times. So just in my mind, some things that I think just a man should do is you let ladies go first. Men always let the lady go first. Are they incapable of going second? No, they're more than capable. Just let them go first. Open the door for ladies. I would say open the door for anybody if you see them coming in, but particularly ladies. Are they incapable of opening a door? I've seen many of you ladies open doors. You're capable. It's just I want to honor you. By here, let me hold the door for you. If you're sitting down and a lady walks in, give up your seat for a lady. I would say give up your seat for somebody older than you as well. Just be a gentleman. Do those types of things. Why? Because you're showing them honor. And that's what Peter says showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, showing honor. Then he says who she is. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Here's how you know he's not superior. Because he says you're heirs with Christ. The scripture speaks of Jesus being the heir and then we're co-heirs with Christ. We've received this inheritance, this salvation. His righteousness has been given to us. Your wife is an heir with you. I think that can mean physically. You're doing life together. Every moment, every kiss, every child, every meal, every joy, every heartbreak. You're sharing life together. But primarily, this is speaking spiritually. And this is how we know Peter's not saying, women, you're inferior. Because right here, he says, husbands and wives in Christ are heirs. They're co-heirs. They're heirs of what? Go back to chapter 1. What does Peter say? We have a living hope and we have an eternal inheritance stored up and kept in heaven for you. Listen, husband, wife, when you get to heaven, Jesus ain't going to say, all right, husband, you come on in first because you're superior. Your inheritance is better because you're superior to the wife. No, listen, you get the same inheritance in Christ. It's the same. You're heirs with your spouse. This isn't about somebody being superior or inferior. This is about you having the same destiny, the same Savior, the same Holy Spirit who indwells you, and you're heirs together. And he says, show honor. That word honor means to give value and worth. You are to give value and worth to your wife to dishonor is to view them as having little lesser or no value that's how women would have been treated in peter's day peter saying absolutely not as a follower of christ whom your wife is an heir with you they are not your property they are not things they are people made in the image of god they're heirs with you you are to honor them and value So let me just, from my own life, give you an example as to what this looks like for my family, my wife, who is not here to defend herself this morning. So when she watches later, I apologize in advance. My wife has many gifts, wonderful gifts. One of her gifts is the gift of hospitality. She just does a great job with it whether it's having youth in our home or having adults in our home, ladies in our home, she just has the gift of hospitality. If she's up here planning an event, she just loves doing those things. She's incredible at it. But here's what I've observed. In her giftedness of hospitality, because she wants everything to be perfect, for the food to be perfect, for there to be enough food, for the house to be spotless, as she's planning, her anxiety level begins to rise so my job as her husband is to honor and value her so two things one it is to encourage her and her gift of hospitality it is to let her flourish in that to say you're amazing at this do this at the same time when my wife plans an event like this my job is to value and strengthen her therefore my schedule is clear. I'm home with her. Ryan, what do you need? Nothing else matters right now. What do you need? You need me to clean? I'll clean. You need me to help cook? To which you'll say, nope, get out of the kitchen. You'll mess this up. I'll clean up. I'll take the boys. It does not matter what else is going on. My job is to help her flourish and to see where she's weak and to strengthen her, to give her value and honor. How can I serve? How can I help you so men protect her protect her physically protect her from from people who may seek to harm her and then prize her value her and third and we're about to raise this whole other level for everyone in this room so just be ready number three pray for your wife this is both an instruction and a warning i'm going to focus on the warning let me just say a brief word about the instruction peter says so that your prayers you are to pray husbands some of you may struggle with this i've struggled with this at times in my life being an introvert right somebody who doesn't really even have to talk a lot to pray for and to pray with your wife you are to faithfully pray for her i believe you should faithfully even though you may fall short of this to pray with her Read some scripture together and pray. Take turns back and forth. But praying for and praying with your wife. That's the instruction. Here's the warning. So that your prayers may not be hindered. It is possible for your prayers to be hindered. It is possible for your relationship with Jesus not to be where it should be because of something going on in your life. The Greek word for hindered means to cut in on. To cut in on. It's a military term for an army digging a trench in a road to stop the enemy's advance. Hear me, that's what Satan seeks to do in your marriage and in your spiritual life. Satan knows he cannot steal your salvation. He knows that. You're in the palm of Christ and the palm of the Father. Like you are doubly secure. You are saved in Jesus. Amen? Nothing you did to earn it, nothing you can do to lose it. In Christ, his righteousness given to you, you're forgiven. Satan knows that. He can't steal your relationship, but he can seek to hinder it. He can seek to do anything possible to hinder. Your fellowship and relationship with Christ. So here's the question. I ended last week's sermon with it, and I'm going to ask you right now How is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because here's the reality. If you, as a husband, are not living the way Peter outlines here, your prayers will be hindered. They will be hindered. Doesn't mean the Lord doesn't hear. It's just, why would the Lord bless you and give you something if you're not willing to do what He tells you to do? But it goes beyond the husband and wife relationship to any relationship with brothers or sisters in Christ. Broken or injured relationships between Christians hinder them in their relationship with God. So how's your relationship with the Lord? Jesus could not be any clearer in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, we read these words as soon as I get over there. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, so you've come to offer up an alt, a gift to, to God, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Don't think, well, Lord, I'm, let me finish worshiping you, and then I'll go make it right. It says to leave first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift the reality is unforgiveness broken relationships between a husband and a wife between brothers and sisters in christ hinders your prayer life i cannot for the life of you tell you where i read it this week or where i heard it i just can't remember but i remember what they said so let's talk about the husband and wife for a minute. The husband and wife, if both are believers in Christ, that's the key here, both have put their faith in Jesus, born again, blood-bought, means the Spirit of God indwells both of them. And here's what he said. The Spirit of God in the husband, the Spirit of God in the wife. The Spirit of God always agrees with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God cannot contradict the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God in the husband will always agree with the Spirit of God in the wife if we get out of the way. You know where I'm going with this, right? The problem is we get in the way. The problem is we get in the way. If there is dissension in the marriage between the husband and the wife, the reality is somebody is not walking with the Spirit of God somebody is not submitting to the lordship of christ in their life because the spirit of god always agrees with the spirit of god and that is the case for brothers and sisters in christ broken or injured relationships between christians hinder them in their relationship with god so how is your relationship with the lord in order for relationships your marriage to be reconciled there must be forgiveness forgiveness granted and you must ask for forgiveness you must seek that forgiveness there must be forgiveness in relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ because the reality is if we are unwilling to forgive how can we expect our prayer to the Lord to say Lord forgive me like the Lord is just going to automatically say yep gotcha no the Lord is going to say listen I've already forgiven you but hey you got something against your brother and sister you need to go make it Right, so I want to give you an illustration, an illustration that I find to be very powerful. You may disagree, but here it is anyways. I absolutely love, this should be no surprise to those in this room if you know me, I absolutely love Broadway and musicals. Love it. It started back in 2010 when I went and saw Les Mis uh, on Broadway in New York City. Last Friday, my wife and I had the chance to go see Hamilton. I love Hamilton. Love it. I don't like the language. I wish there wasn't the language, but it's what it is. But I love Hamilton. It tells the story of Alexander Hamilton and the music. It's just pure genius that one man could write all of these songs. And so if you've seen Hamilton, you're going to understand the storyline I'm about to give you. If you've never seen Hamilton, it's about Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers. And so the very last song in the play is called Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. Eliza is Hamilton's wife. Hamilton has died. And she sings in this song, which is a tribute to Hamilton and all that he accomplished as a founding father in this country. And Eliza sings, Oh, can I show you what I'm proudest of. I established the first private orphanage in New York City. I helped to raise hundreds of children. I get to see them grow up. And then she sings this, In their eyes, I see you, Alexander. And you think, that is amazing. Oh, how Eliza and Alexander must have had this incredible, beautiful relationship. Until you back up multiple songs. And you realize that Alexander Hamilton has an affair and is blackmailed by the woman's husband. Word eventually gets out and Aaron Burr in the play sings, Alexander, rumors only grow and we both know what we know. That's my best I can do. I can't sing anymore because I will ruin it. Thank you. Thank you. So, Hamilton. Hamilton will go on to publish the Reynolds pamphlet where he confesses publicly. I mean, you can search this. Where he confesses publicly his affair. Doesn't even tell Eliza. It comes out through the Reynolds pamphlet. And she is devastated devastated so she sings a song called burn and in that song she says you and your words obsessed with your legacy your sentences border on senseless you are paranoid in every paragraph how they perceive you i'm erasing myself from the narrative let future historians wonder how eliza reacted when you broke her heart you've torn it all apart i'm watching it burn burning the letters that might have redeemed you and we say who can blame her I mean, what you just did to your wife, the one you claimed to love, you just destroyed your marriage. It's crumbling. Then their son, Philip, is shot in a duel and dies. An affair and a dead son. And then the Hamiltons move uptown. Why? Because it's quiet uptown. And in this beautiful song... You begin to see their vulnerability. You begin to see reconciliation and healing. And this whole story is drawing to this point right here. They sing, "Their are suffering too terrible to name. You hold your child as tight as you can and push away the unimaginable. If you see him in the street, walking by himself, talking to himself, have pity. He is working through the unimaginable. And in that song, Hamilton begins to go to church. He begins to pray. And there they are, if you've seen the play, standing center stage right next to each other. Dead son, an affair. And you hear the words. There are a moment that the words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name. Time out. They don't tell you what that grace is. You and I know what that grace is. That is the grace and the mercy of a loving father who would forgive sinners like us. Who make a mess of our lives. God forgives us. The song continues. They are standing in the garden. Alexander by Eliza's side. She takes his hand. It's quiet uptown. And then they sing these words. Forgiveness can you imagine. Forgiveness Can you imagine? My whole illustration comes to this moment. If you're sitting there watching this play and you are an unbeliever, forgiveness, can you imagine? Not a chance. To forgive Hamilton, who seemed to be concerned only about his own legacy, what he could do for a country that we're grateful for that, who ignores his wife and ignores his child and has an affair and cheats on her. No, who could imagine forgiving him for that? But when you sit there, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you hear those words, forgiveness, can you imagine? Hear me, not only can you imagine that type of forgiveness, but you and I have personally experienced that type of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Could God the Father really forgive me? We read earlier, Paul said he's the wretched, the worst of sinners. Could God possibly forgive me, a wretched sinner? And the answer is yes, he can. And that forgiveness that you have experienced in your heart is the very same forgiveness that you are to extend to other people. Hear me, I don't know how you've been hurt and I don't know whom you have hurt, but what I know is there is a grace that is too powerful to name, and his name is Jesus Christ. We can name it. His name is Jesus, and he forgives us of our sins, and what Peter is saying in this moment as it all builds is he's saying, don't let your prayers be hindered. So hear me as we close listen the last thing you might want to do right now is to get honest with the lord might be the last thing you want to do the last thing you may want to do right now as we sing the song in just a minute about the will of the father is to come before the lord brokenhearted and to say jesus there is sin in my heart that i must confess i cannot expect That you would love, continue to love me and bless me and pour out all these blessings when I am walking in unrepentant sin that I refuse to name and confess and turn from. If you're walking in sin, listen, the Lord still loves you. He'll save you, but your relationship with him, Peter says, your prayer life is being hindered. Husbands, maybe you would say, and maybe it's the last thing you want to say, but you would say right now you would confess, Pastor, I'm guilty. I've not loved, my wife as Christ, loved the church. I've not been living with her in an understanding way. I've not been honoring her, showing her worth, and showing her value. The last thing you may want to do is to take her by the hand and say, I'm sorry. But it's the very first thing you need to do right now. Otherwise, your prayers will be hindered because you're not being faithful to the Scriptures. And brothers and sisters, if there's something going on between you and a family member, or you and somebody who lives a long way away, or a brother or sister in Christ, the last thing you may want to do right now is go to them and say, I'm sorry, but hear me, the very first thing right now you must do is go to them and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, and I forgive you. Now listen, that doesn't mean the relationship will immediately be healed. You are to live as peaceably with everyone. It doesn't mean they're always going to be peaceful to you, but between you and the Lord, there must be forgiveness because none of us want to read that word so that your prayers may not be hindered and say, that's true of me. So let us come before the Lord in honesty and humility and seeking the forgiveness of Christ. And if you have never given your life to Jesus, then I can't think of a better time to do that. You say, Pastor, you're telling me that Jesus can really forgive me and all that I've ever done. And I would say, yes, he can. And I'm living proof. And this room is filled, living proof, example after example of God's grace and mercy to forgive them of their sins. Why? Because my God is mighty to save, amen? He's mighty to save right now. He'll save you. If you confess, repent, and turn and believe in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, forgiveness. Forgiveness the world can't imagine. The world refuses to forgive. The world doesn't want to show grace. Yet Peter, in this letter, writing to exiles and sojourners who are living in a world of hostility and a world of anger and a world of bitterness and unforgiveness, calls us to love as Christ loved. Calls us as husbands to live with our wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as the weaker vessel, co-heirs of Christ. We're called to love and live as Christ loved us. So, Father, help us as husbands. Help us to be the the example that you call us to be, to lead and to love in that way. Father, help us to cherish and value our wives, the the, the women that you have blessed blessed us with in our life. And Lord, if we fall short, we're so thankful for your grace and mercy that you are ready to pour out upon us. Lord, as we sing, as we sing, God, about your will be done, oh God. That's the prayer. That's the desire of our heart. May this not be lip service, but may it genuinely be from the depths of our heart to cry out, Lord, your will be done. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and let's worship together this morning as we sing. You respond. present somebody to you. This is Jackson Sabo. His mom Jenna, is here sitting over here. Uh, many of you in this room, some of you in this room know his grandmother, Miss Pam Clark. Pam is a member here and she moved to Texas several uh, years ago her and her husband. and so several months ago Jackson and his grandmother, Pam, were in the car and Jackson had been asking questions about the Lord and about salvation. So she'd been sharing the gospel with him. She talked to some people in the the church about that as well. And so shared the gospel, and Jackson trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior right there in the car. Amen? Amen. So he is coming to profess his faith in Jesus publicly, but also in a couple weeks he'll be following the Lord Jesus in baptism, and his grandmother is going to come in from Texas, and I know Mom will be here, and it'll be a time of, Celebration. So if you will rejoice in Jackson's decision to trust in Christ for salvation, will you let him know that? Amen. All right, man, you can go sit down. You can go sit down. So if you see Jackson before uh, you leave, maybe you know Jackson, if you'll just encourage him, just love on him, and then uh, the first Sunday in March he will enter into the waters to publicly uh, declare uh, that Jesus is Lord and Savior of his life. Life. All right, we have several announcements to make, so if you will follow along quickly. Uh, we got a couple new ministries uh, that we want you to be aware of. Uh, one of them is to our shut-ins. All the information is there. You need to let Carol Stewart know if you're interested in serving on that. The other is this Treasures Out of Trauma group that, that will start next Sunday. And so you can, you can sign up online. That will run through the end of Awana. So it's not going to go into the summer. Uh, they're going to follow the Awana schedule. So if you have been through any sort of trauma, anything in your life that you just, you need somebody to come who's been through some things to help you, to walk alongside of you, this class is for you. And so please sign up. Be, be part of that. Our senior friends have a monthly luncheon this uh, week, um, and so February 22nd, so sign up for that. We got our NBC student barbecue fundraiser. Please sign up for that. We got a church conference coming up next week. And then March 9th, information about live Scent. Uh, You can sign up for that. You can get involved with that. So please uh, check that out. One other thing. It is almost time for our Awana Grand Prix. Um, And so those cars are available. This is for our Sparks and our TNT. The cars are available. You can pick them up after the service. It's $5 a car. You can either get a pre-cut car or you can get a wooden block and design your own car, however you want to do it. They're available, and that's, what, the second Sunday in March? Is that correct? Yeah, so several weeks away, but go ahead and get your car um, today, and you can start working on that. Just a reminder, it's winter break. No activities tonight, no activities on Wednesday. And please be in prayer for our mission team as we leave the church tomorrow at 6.30 a.m. to head to the airport. Uh, huge shout-out to Larry Smitherman for driving us all over to the airport so early um, in the the morning, All right, if you'll stand, we're going to end by reading the Great Commission together as we have been doing. So this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let's say it together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go church and live sent.